Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts, and we're here to give you all a double header this week. It's true. And I'll be there too. Two of your hosts, Ethan. This week, we will be looking at, talking about, dissecting, discussing, breaking down, building back up, empathological fallacies, and Parth Ferengi's Park Place. Now, Empathological Fallacies was directed by Megan Lloyd. A classic. We got um, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, Star Trek Lower Docks, Transformers, Earth Spark. So, you know, some genre. A lot of Camp Cretaceous people. I got to watch that show. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And this is the one. If you remember how excited I got for um, this. Wait, is that true? Yes, for this writer. Jamie Loftus, because Jamie Loftus, as I only learned when we were, I was looking for the writer of this episode, is a Boston area, born and raised comedian. Oh boy! Went to Emerson College. Yep. And worked for Comedy Central, Robot Chicken, et cetera, et cetera. Worked for the Boston Globe. It was fired for tweeting after a stand-up set. Crushing so hard at an open mic that I come bloods. Why does this sound familiar? They got fired from the Boston Globe for that. Mm. Um, and they're an absurdist uh, humor person. So, you know, great. What better, show to, what better show to write for? A canvasser for the Democratic Socialists of America. So this person is, you know, I would be friends with this person if I ever met them. Didn't hate them. All right. With that said, mm-hmm. let's get into episode 4.5, Empathological Fallacies. Empathological Fallacies. The one that I remember us ending our previous episode saying we were going to talk about this this one and commenting on how much fun that word was to say. Empathological Yes, because I, I love, I, in my language and composition class, I teach about logical fallacies. Mm. Yes. Those things that seem like they're true to... Stupid people or uh, ignorant people, but they're not really true. And how to identify them? So it's fun to think of empath- empathy and empathological yep. fallacies, and they do c- commit an empathological fallacy in a way when they mistake where the emotional outbursts are generated from. All right, so we have a Tallinn episode. Yes, which is exciting. Um, so we have three Betazoids are being transported. Now, why are they being transported? Because of the mystery ship has destroyed a Betazoid ship. Yes. So since these are important diplomats, they're being transferred by the Cerritos. Mm-hmm. Now they come aboard with their yard-long mixed drinks, and they've got a real um, bachelorette party vibe going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're causing trouble. They're drunk. They want to read minds. They want to uh, create sexual tension with people. And yep. then the crew starts partying. Too hard. They go out of control. And the suspicion is, of course, it must be these partying Betazoids. Yeah. Look at them. They're, they got some crazy party energy. There's a very... But turns out it's actually Talyn with Bendai Syndrome. And she's in, she's increasing everyone's emotions. It has a, the before we find out it's Talyn and we're just seeing the crew like go wild and, you know, we're blaming the Betazoids. It, it has a very, it, it keeps, it reminds me of the Naked Now from Next Gen. It has a very first season vibe, Next Generation episode vibe from the first season, which I yeah. thought was kind of amusing. I did appreciate that. And I do like that we had the one character, Talyn, who was not affected, that was just seeing all the and, But also, reacting to it. there's that. And also it makes me think of Mud's Women from the original series, the three muds, three women who come aboard and they're so beautiful and everybody is, and everybody on the enterprise, all the men on the enterprise are so enamored by their beauty and they can't resist. So there was a little bit of that too, which I thought was, and I wondered if that was intentional, if they were like purposely trying to evoke muds women. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, we do get some interesting character things. At the beginning of the episode, Talin is trying to request a transfer off of the Cerritos. Yep. Which I, you know, Talin has been a great character, but she's not been present a lot. So I was fearful that she was going to get transferred because I could see her actually going away. Because she's just she's not there enough to feel like she's a member of the main cast, right? So I feel like she's definitely mm-hmm. sort of able to just kind of disappear. Yeah, at she, any she's given a moment. recurring character. She's a recurring character, yeah. Yeah. And so um so we have that going up. Then there's a B plot where security, who one would think should be the ones that are going to be handling this situation mm-hmm. they're having a, some kind of a retreat or a meeting and um Boimler attends and he's expecting that he's going to learn some combat or some badassery yep and he's very disappointed to find out that there's a, some slam poetry competition the poem about wharf yep there was something about um, it though that just here. seemed so fitting too that that's what that was I don't know why, but it just felt, yeah. it just felt right to the me. The charades. Yes. Yep. He's very quick to get that uh, Odo is who they are charading somehow. Yep. I have no idea how. <laughs> uh, and then there's a choice between a Captain Archer puzzle and some tarot card for some reason. Yeah. It, it, something about that just sat really, just sat right with me. I don't know what it was. Like the absurdity of like the poetry reading specifically. It just it I don't know what it was, but it just it 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 hit my funny bone in the per- in the best way possible. Yes, wharf, wharf, wharf. Yep. 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 And then they're talking about his um is he a warrior or a farmer? He was torn. Yeah. Well, and don't forget, I mean, he joins the security team because you know, Boimler is sort of struggling with his new rank as Lieutenant Junior Grade, and he sort of joins them for guidance. Which is you know, let's not forget the fact that Boimler's original goal at the beginning of the series was he wanted to get stationed on the Titan. That was his dream job. And as we know, that didn't really work out. And since then, he's they've sort of revisited it a little bit, but he doesn't really yet know where he wants to go. But I like what they're doing with him in that he doesn't seem to have this ultimate goal in mind. It's like every time he... I like the idea of him achieving this new rank but still kind of trying to figure out, you know, I like seeing the struggle in a way as he moves up. Cause it's always been so clear cut and track that somebody just gets promoted and then they're just onto the next thing. I like that the show is depicting somewhat of a struggle with somebody who gets promoted, but still isn't really clear what they want to do and they need guidance. You know, I yeah. never really seen, seen a lot of career. Promoted, yeah. Seeing someone get promoted and have trouble adjusting to their yeah. new position of it's, authority. It's interesting. We've never really seen that in Star Trek. I was going to say, yeah, I can't, I can't see... What, what I find interesting in a way, too, is that what these new shows, I mean, particularly Lower Decks, has been doing is... I find it more relatable. I, I'm beginning to find Starfleet more relatable because it's treated... These shows seem to treat it more like a job. Like a, like a you know, and moving and promotions and moving up. Like, it feels more like an actual job that I could... That's a, somebody who works in corporate or just maybe somebody who's anything like that. It just feels more relatable being in Starfleet now because they treat it like, again, I, I've said it a million times, like a job. So Rather I like a calling, like a life mission or a, you know, right. fated destiny. Right. And as previous truck shows have shown us, you know, joining Starfleet seems like it's the ultimate goal for anybody. Or it just seems like it's the greatest thing in, in, you know, in the universe, right? But I like that the show has decided to kind of give us, and they go into a little, this a little bit in obviously in the first duty on the next generation. But I like that they've decided to sort of make Starfleet more like a career and being a little bit more relatable to the moving up and trying to figure out well what is it what is it you actually want to do? Where do you see yourself, you know, in five years or something like that? So I appreciate the show yeah, doing that. Switch departments in other shows. Right. You don't see people trying to figure it out. like Almost like if you're in college and you switch majors. Right. 
No, it's weird because we've seen, you know, we've seen Worf get promoted. We've seen Tuvok get promoted, but they get promoted, but they still, they're still doing the same thing. They're still in the same place. Right, because yeah, they're still in security or whatever their branch is. Because I think what happens is that's where the TV show side of it comes in. Because I think in the re if it were the real world here, like they would go on to a different position and somebody else would move in and take their older position. But because you're dealing with a TV show, it's sort of a little bit different here. But I, you know, lower decks doesn't seem to let that get in the way, right? There's I like the fact that they're still doing lower deck stuff, but they sort of. It's moved up a little bit. There's still other lower decks things to do, but they're not doing the same level of lower deck stuff that they were doing when they were just ensigns. In in Tendi even joined medical from right engineering, right? So, right. Yeah, they're definitely moving all over the place. Yeah, totally. It is enjoyable. So by the end, Talene does not uh, submit her transfer request because she has now learned that she actually is. Uh, She's the lower decker, really. Right. She has a conversation with Mariner whereby she talks about why she was sent to the Cerritos, and it was because she had an emotional outburst when it was some situation, and I forget the specifics, but she was actually right. Right. And yet they still punished her for being right, and Mariner mm -hmm. pointed out that that's really stupid. Mm -hmm. And she felt understood, and so she decided to stay. What do you think this episode does as far as character development is concerned? I think Talim gets the most, mm -hmm. or the only, really. Well, I think her journey is and a bit Mariner of a stand-up. And relationship has grown. Yep. They've grown closer. Yep. And it's funny because Tendi's real need to be friends with Talim is, is even funnier mm -hmm. in contrast to Mariner just effortlessly becoming friends with Talim. I think I think more so this season than any past season we're really getting a lot of character development. Um I don't find that it was as strong in the previous seasons and I think they've been very generous particularly to Talyn with her own character journey. I mean, she's only been in what are we at? What is this? Episode 6? Six? 6 I think, right? Yeah, of the season or 5. Just, no, you said five. This is five. Um, and already, I know I already know a ton about her this season. And this, and this episode revealed a lot. I mean, we find out that she's 62 years old. Oh, yeah. But for Vulcans, that's pretty young. That's right? pretty young, yeah. So, like, things like that. So... Mm -hmm. And we find out that she feels... She feels, you know, rejected by Vulcan. Mm -hmm. And that she's trying to prove herself. Yep. But at the same time, she's realizing that maybe she's starting to question the Vulcan ways. Right. So this is, this is big. Which is very interesting. I mean, we've seen the... the she kind of reminds me of T'Pol a little bit. Meaning that, you know, if you go back and look at Enterprise and think about DePaul, I mean, she was on a ship of all humans. It was just her and Phlox, the only aliens on there. And the show starts off with her being very kind of stiff, somewhat resistant to humans, you know, doesn't doesn't like the way they smell, doesn't like the way they eat. And over time, we see... Right. And she's, you know, she's brought on board as sort of an observer, right, for Vulcans. And over time, she grows to, obviously like being with them, establishes relationships with them. I like that Talyn seems to kind of be on a similar path, but the extra bit that I like, as you just pointed out, her questioning the Vulcan ways. It also makes me think of in the first Abrams film, when we see Spock get accepted to the Vulcan Science Academy, but instead he opts to go into Starfleet. And the Vulcans can't understand why. Mm -hmm. That makes me think about, even though Vulcans are founding members of the Federation, there still seems to be a little bit of that, like, if given the choice, well, surely as a Vulcan, you would choose the Vulcan Science Academy. You wouldn't go to Starfleet or you wouldn't be. So I still, I wonder if yeah, there's, all, there's still a little lesser. bit of that in there. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, le yeah, absolutely. When you said lesser, yes. Yeah. So 
Yeah. When you tell me, but a lot of that's just bias. They have a bias in there. I think they have a bias, and so when you know you have Talin sort of sometimes questioning the Vulcan ways, that's very refreshing for me because you would think that a Vulcan would just naturally be biased, right? Right, and, and she's not half human. Exactly. Right. So she doesn't have that, like, that built-in reason to be questioning things. Right. Like I, I always wonder, like if a Vulcan tells their parents, "I'm going to go to Starfleet," are they ever like, "Why?" And you know, in a Vulcan way, but why are you going to Starfleet? You know, mm. it's sort of like or between like Harvard or UMass. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What if you took a Vulcan baby mm. and you? Gave it to a human family to raise in a normal human way. Yeah. What would happen to him? So, so how much is nature and how much is nurture? So are you talking like Michael Burnham, but the other way around? Yeah. So how much is nature? Yeah. That they're just born that way, and how much of it is the way they're raised? Yeah, I mean, you know, Spock had a little bit of it, but obviously he chose a Vulcan way of life. But could a Vulcan... I would think a Vulcan would begin to lean more into the human side because Vulcans are trained to repress their emotions as they get older with that. Yeah. So, but would their huge emotions make them crazy because they are allegedly stronger? Yeah, like they have all the same emotions that we have, only they're a lot more. Yeah, they're a lot more prominent. Yeah, so that would be that would be interesting. Like, what is you know, it's like it's raised by wolves, right? What would happen if a Vulcan was raised by humans or just? Yeah. yeah, I'd like them to do an episode. I'd like one of the shows to do an episode about that, like, or just, you know, have a character, you know, that was. That would be really cool. That'd be very yeah, interesting. Yeah, Vulcan raised not Vulcans. Well, and we've and you know, and I know I said Michael Burnham, and the thing with Michael was that we had talked about how she was there. There was a mo moment in the pilot where it seemed like where v Michael had a Vulcan way of life, but then that seemed to have been yeah. disregarded cool. later on. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she even had the haircut. She even had the haircut too. Yeah, a yeah. human that was raised Vulcan so has the Vulcan. Right. Essentially, that's the nature versus nurture. Right. Except they were trained in the Vulcan culture, the Vulcan way of life, the Vulcan thinking. I mean, we the thing is, yeah. we see it in her flashbacks in the pilot, but it didn't seem to carry on carry on later on. I mean, I think no. she retained some of it, but like she didn't have that sort of like Vulcan stiffness. Right. Right. She did a little bit in the pilot only. There must have been a Brian Fuller idea that was just. It was when she was brought aboard the. Um, oh, God, I'm blanking on the name of the ship that she was first stationed on. But it was when she came aboard and met the captain. It was when oh, she met Captain Giorgio. Yeah. It was in the flashback. It, they flashed back in the pilot episode. Yeah. Right. Was it called the Shinzo? That's what it was. Thank you. Shinto. Um, yeah, they show a flashback when Sarek brings her aboard and she meets Captain Philippa Giorgio for the first time. And she's, you know, dressed in Vulcan oh, yeah. garb. She's got the Vulcan hairstyle. She's got the, yeah, she, you know, she's got the Vulcan way of talking. Yeah, so... Attraction. But I think you raise a good point. Seeing it the other way could be... I mean, Worf, Worf is also like that. I mean, he was a Klingon raised by humans, but he, again, he sort of leaned into they a Klingon... They helped him maintain his Klingon culture, yeah. Right. So... But let's have somebody who doesn't, where that doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Be interesting. Go and write that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you right. could do Anything some very compelling episode? stories there. Um, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, my analysis of it really is, I think it, uh, good character development. I think it shows, I think the series is definitely growing and I like the direction it's going in. Again, Talyn's character journey is great. I also think that this has retained what we've been saying, that it's not too reference heavy. Once again, the show is proving to just stand on its own and not be too reliant on humor from humor by making reference. True. You get the Wharf poem, and then you get... Mariner saying Spock's you have Bendai syndrome. Spock's dad had yeah. Bendai syndrome and he was Vulcan as a motherfucker. I get think, those two references and that's kind of I yeah. think this episode and, and Odo, Odo also. I think the most recent I think this is just one episode in the most recent batch of episodes 
that really showcased the strength of the show and its ability to stand on its own. And I actually think, I know we've been a little scatterbrained in getting our episodes recorded, so it's it's can be somewhat of a challenge to sort of look at the season so far holistically. But I actually think season four is shaping up to be the best season of the show. I think they sort of hit a good, I think they've sort of hit a good cruising altitude now. And they're just mm-hmm. kind of, again, standing on, standing on, standing on its own. So like, yeah, like any Trek show, they're just giving us good stories every week. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my sort of analysis on this episode. I think it, 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 it's, yeah. Nice. All so, right. Next episode. Did you hold on? But did you have any random? You usually have random bits. Did you have any of that? Because I do have a few, but I wanted to see if you had some too. Oh yeah. Let's see. Um. Oh, um. The Cations used to hunt and eat betazoids. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. I really enjoyed the sleepy merp and big merp when uh-huh. um. Yep. Uh, Boimler was trying to learn the crew's name, and all bosses would have the name merp. Yep. Um, I thought it was a very cute line when uh, Boimler was saying that he's an idiot and Rutherford said, hey, that's my friend you're calling an idiot. Mm. That was nice. No teaser in this episode either. Uh, a lot of a lot of episodes of season not getting teasers. Right. But there was a reference to the fact that the ship had also hit a Betazoid ship. Right. So there's, there's definitely... So they still are keeping that thread going without a I th- And I think, is that the first instance of season of... Others being aware of it. So so far oh, we've seen. People died. Yeah, yeah, so far so. we've only yeah. seen it attacking and destroying other ships. But this is, is this the first time where we find out that like, you know, people outside of what we've seen are aware that it's taking place. I feel like. Yeah, so it's not just first a mystery. Like our second... ship was a ship, we don't know why. I can't remember. And at the end, for, we yeah. a picture of the ship Freeman. Right. Right. And they do. They're doing a really good job like keeping this a mystery because they're not hinting at anything further with it it's just doing the same thing every time so i think it was last episode we were we were recording and i said to you i I can't spin i can't even spin any theories about this at all can you and you're like no "No," because i'm like there's no i think i refer to it as an equal opportunity enemy it's just it doesn't seem to be going after anybody specifically so yep but they certainly have set up that it's a threat because no one has is able to do anything to it the one random bit I want to mention, you actually, oddly enough, covered all my random bits, except for one. Um, Boimler had a quarter-life crisis at age 25 and grew a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, great. All right, yeah. That's good. All right, so moving on to episode six, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. So we got directed by Brandon William, known for Mortal Kombat, Legends, Solar Opposites, of course, and uh, Wacky Races, which is a a property that's near and dear to my heart, Mm. Hanna-Barbera Studios, from my youth, and then from a great DC comic that they did, a sort of uh, gritty reboot, which sounds ridiculous, but it was pretty fun. Yeah. And... Written by Colin Crawford. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Colin Crawford, a writer on 229 episodes of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. That's interesting. Um, that's a that's that's yeah, that's Modoc. Ex- that is exceptionally random. Yeah, and uh, the the Marvel animated show Modoc. Okay. Machine only designed for killing or something. I don't remember. Have you seen it? No. Okay. So yeah. All right. Well, so I mean, it makes sense, I guess, the writing for Tim Colbert, your joke writer. That's what makes sense. So some familiar right. familiar faces returned for this one. True, familiar voices too. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Rom and Lita, which. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like the original wrong Rom actor, Max Rodinchek. It didn't sound like him at all, but it's been a long time. Voices change. So. And it was him. 
Yes, it is him. But it, I, I actually had to look it up because I was like, that doesn't sound like him. Like, Armin Shimmerman, like, it was obvious he had aged, but it still sounded like him when he came back and did Quark last season. But I'm like, that doesn't sound like like Matt Skrodinczyk. Let me go back and, you know. But it was him. It was. Nice. So, and Chase Masterson uh, has an unmistakable voice as lead anyway, so that was obvious. Oh, yeah. But, so we get a... Uh... We get a we get a bumper of cold open with another ship this time a Frankie ship. Yep, yep. I I was surprised at that one. Um, for some reason, I didn't think the show was going to have the balls to do that to destroy a Frankie ship. There's just something about the Frankie that I just feel like you know they're annoying, but you don't want to see them get destroyed like oh. that. You know, I didn't think they were going to do that. Well, they would. They should be destroyed. They were they were toying around with a Genesis device. They were a small Genesis device. They're, they we're gonna sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. You don't want to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I know the Ferengi are a little scummy, but I thought to myself, no, don't do, don't, don't do that. And so, but they did. So, and yeah, we're right back to what I was saying a little while ago that there's no, uh, there does not the only identifiable pattern with this unknown enemy is that it's just destroying any ship that it comes across. It's not mm-hmm. singling anybody mm-hmm. out. So it's just whoever it's like in in its way. I think the the yeah. one difference. Like I said, it reminds me a lot of the um, V'ger. I think the one. Not di- that V'ger was doing it on purpose. I think the one difference, though, is the other ships kind of encountered it. This one seemed to this time it specifically came out of warp and went after that Ferengi ship. The other ones seemed to come across it while they're like traveling at warp or just traveling at impulse, and they just see it. There it is. So this. So if this. I don't. I. I mean. I don't know that that means anything, but right. It, the circumstances of it, of its appearance were a little bit different this time. So it seemed like it was specifically going after that ship. Yes, but interestingly, yeah. like the pirates, like used the a different tactic. They saw it and immediately thought, "Oh, we should take advantage of this ship." And, right. You know, right. swingle them in some way. They used a different tactic. It seemed like in the past the other ones it was sort of luring the other ships in. This time, this just it just went after it. So. Yeah. 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 So. But so I got to point out with this one. So the sort of background in this plot is that the Ferengi are looking to join the Federation, which is a big, which is big, which is a fairly large development in the Star Trek universe. As we saw, a lot of sense that they would. Right. Well, well that's and that's weird too, but. Um, what I need to point out is in Discovery, by the time we get to the 32nd century, the Ferengi have joined the Federation. Now, is this a build up to that? Maybe. Is this well, the they, they signed, they literally signed. So. Well, they signed, but it was like it was an application. It wasn't the actual signing of the of them joining. Because once they sign it, oh. you know, as Captain Freeman points out there's still a lot of hurdles to be worked out and a lot of things be worked out, a lot of hurdles, but it wasn't like actually like, okay, now you're in the Federation. They were just beginning the process of joining. So it may take, it may take years, but we do know that by the time we get to the 32nd century, the Ferengi are in the Federation. So. And this is sort of, this is an interesting episode because it's kind of got an A plot, a B plot, a C plot, and a D plot. There's a lot of there was a lot of plots going on in this the episode. Plot, the Boimler plot, the Rutherford and Tendi plot, and then yeah. the Captain Freeman plot. The my favorite plot though was probably the one that was featured the least, and that was Boimler's. I thought it was yeah, it was featured the least, but it was featured just the right amount. So back, baby. Um Want me to just go down? Why don't I list out what each plot was, and then we can just sort of go into them one by one. Sure. So, um, Mariner has to. Mariner's given the duty to update the Starfleet travel guide, which she doesn't really want to do. So she has to spend all of her time, you know, indulging in Federation. <laughs> she spends all of her time, you know, basically in a bar, drinking excessively, playing yeah, Dabo. Yeah, it's just like a tourist guide of yes. like places to go. So she has to do the touristy things. Right. Yes. 
in all all three of them really are doing that which all is really four of the lower decker which is really a brilliant idea you're updating a travel guide so you have to go in and act like a tourist and do all this stuff which is which is yeah. really in a way perfect for Mariner's character mm-hmm. um and we get some real character development here from Mariner. we do Rutherford and Tendi are assigned the task of pretending to be a newlywed couple to blend in. They, of course, struggle with the awkwardness of their roles and try to maintain their friendship. Um, they realize that they really kind of have feelings for each other. Right. right. I thought that, and, and you know, obviously that worked, I thought, really well for the two of them. Perfect people to do that. Although I think in some ways it was the obvious choice, but what if it had been Tendi and Boimler instead? You know? I think it wouldn't have been as awkward because I don't think there's tension there. I think it really, I think it would have been more awkward because, because there is no tension. And I think it would, they would, it would have been a struggle for them to keep it up and, and doing that would have caused tension, especially given what happened when they end up going to that restaurant. When we saw what happened when they, when you find out that you're not really married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Boimler goes on a TV binge. He's watching numerous <laughs> Ferengi shows in a hotel room, which I thought was really, really, which I thought was really funny. Um, it's nice to see, you know, Ferengi, I mean, I've never imagined what Ferengi television is like, or even if they had television, but from what he from what we saw, it's exact, it, it fits perfectly. And then of course the Ferengi negotiations so lita and rom from ds9 make an appearance in captain freeman and admiral is it vassery um they have to work together to um get that basically get that rolling so um of these plots as you say it was a very plot heavy episode did you have one that you specifically enjoyed the most or did you just kind of like all of it i think that's definitely boimler yep I think for character development, Mariner. Mm-hmm. I think for just the pure sitcom silliness of it, um, Tendi and Rutherford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a moment in Boimler's that made me laugh out loud. Um, it's specifically when he's watching one of these shows and he comments on how, comments on the advertising. In the middle of the show, yeah. which is very on brand for the Ferengi, and yes, but it's great for someone who comes from a non-capitalist right. society, but that wouldn't even know what a commercial was. But what what actually made me laugh was when he comments on that. He's sitting. I forget what his exact line is. I think it's about like oh God. What does he say? I forget like what he first. Well, he first time he says, "Oh, so they can just lie to you." Was one of it when he first saw it. Yeah, he says, but he says because the commercial showed someone drinking the drink, and then they had all these women, right? And, the first, and then they said, "This happens to everyone that drinks this." And he said, "Oh, they can just lie to you." But whatever, and he says, and when he says that, I think he says that. I think he says one more thing. I can't, but again, I can't remember what it was. And right behind him. There's a mountain in a circle with stars around it that just like kind of twinkles. I'm like, which is obvious, which was an obvious nod to the Paramount mountain. It was something about like, there was something about like enforcing a brand, I think, or something like that, that, and as soon as he said that, the thing behind him kind of lit up. I'm like, that's, I'm like, that was really funny. Cause it was like, it was Paramount. It was Paramount right behind him. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Um, so I do have a very favorite line from one of these. So he did not only the ads, but then he started watching the shows, right? Which kind of have the seventies or eighties American TV vibe to them. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, are they? Real. Did they like get access to Earth's history at some point? And they're just mimicking, you know? What are they? You know? Oh, they just developed. Yeah. Their shows in a similar way. Right. Um, I love it. When, <laughs> I don't even know what show it is, but one of them guys killing someone else. And he says, transport all your Latinum to me, or I'll tell everyone you support tenant rights. <laughs> it's like two landlords fighting. And that's so relatable where I, where I live anyway. Yeah. 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 
That was fantastic. So um, yeah, he gets totally sucked in because he's never been exposed to this kind of uh, addictive television. Right. It's really fun to watch Trek kind of comment on modern sort of like modern like what we do now as a culture like we binge watch all the time now you know binge watching wasn't a thing when the older shows were on the air nobody even that wasn't even a term so it's just funny to see that kind of still be around in the 24th 25th century yeah and so, then someone without the knowing what it is would just get sucked right in right exactly um so it's an interesting thing too is that of course Bormer has overachiever attitude yep. going in. He's like, I'm gonna do more reviews than anyone, I'm gonna go everywhere, and, and really all he does is watch his TV the whole time and drinks uh sluggo cola. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't eating I was disappointed, he wasn't eating Ferengi tube grubs. But that's okay. I thought he would I thought he would do I, I was hoping he would. But um because Tube grubs are a delicacy, and they have to be prepared just right. So I thought maybe he'd be eating those, or at least like maybe like tube grub flavored potato chips. Because he was eating chips. I didn't I didn't catch if there was a flavor on there, but I thought, oh, where's the you know where where are the tube grub references here? Um, so a big thing in this episode, of course, is you know the return of two legacy characters, which was Lita and Rom. But they didn't. It was interesting. They were in the show. They were in the episode. But I, they didn't feel like they sort of hung over the episode a lot because they were recurring characters on Deep Space Nine, right? So they're still a big deal. But they weren't really like. I wasn't overly excited to see them. It was great to see them, but I wasn't. But I was. I, I didn't. I would not have had a reaction as if it would say like Kira, or Quark, right? Hmm. I think any time a double girl, even a former double girl, shows up, it's big. It's big news for yeah. lower decks. But I mean, it was great to see them. They, it was obvious that they had not changed very much. I'm glad that they, unlike the Deep Space Nine episode from last season, which, and I'm not pointing, I'm not using this as a criticism. They actually decided to kind of forward the characters a little bit. You know, the DS9 episode last season sort of left everything the way it was, which I appreciate. They didn't really do too much with it. But they decided to kind of bring a little so bit Quark more. Had expanded. I mean, Great. Quark had expanded, right, right. But it still felt right. It still made sense. Like, that still just felt perfect. But, um, you know, they sort of forwarded Rom and Lita just a little bit, which I appreciated um, in this episode. But again, they didn't... Um, you know, if you had told me, if I hadn't seen the episode yet, and if you, and you told me, oh, Rom and Lita are in it, it wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been like a huge draw for me, right? So. Mm. So, I for me, it felt like one of those things where like, I don't even know if it necessarily had to be them, but it also doesn't really hurt anything if it is them. I did find the dynamic interesting between for Captain Freeman and that dude who I didn't catch who he was. The Admiral. Okay, but it was another case of... Vassery, yeah. The, you know, even Freeman is a lower decker. Right. Because Freeman was not being taken seriously by the Admiral. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, don't forget, I mean, lower deck, they Our main characters may be lower deckers, but, like, the Cerritos itself is also, in the grand scheme of Starfleet, is a lower decker. So, yeah. Um, this one was, you know, unlike the previous episode and the episodes before it, um, sort of did lean into Easter eggs, references, and all that stuff. But nevertheless, they were not the kind of driving force behind the episode. They were all used in a very funny way. I mean, I liked uh, the bar, again, that, they, that Tendi and Rutherford went into toward the end of it. And it was, you know, modeled after Starfleet and the Federation. And it had, it actually looked exactly, I mean, not exactly, but it, it had reminders of the old Star Trek, the experience. Mm. Right. Specifically with the overhanging Enterprise and Voyager. Right. Mm. Which I thought that was a very, very nice. And the, you know, the Star Trek theme, as had been previously yeah, established in an earlier episode of Lower Decks, like the Star Trek theme is an act, seems to now actually be a piece of music within the universe. So, because mm-hmm. you hear it playing in the that was enjoyable. The, yeah, I did. I really love the of just the way the 
things that they had to do in order. Well, first off, they had to be pretend they were a couple because, um, because Cerritos is the corniest and least committed crew. So no one is married. There's no married couples on Cerritos because they're too horny yeah. and they won't commit to a relationship. Mm-hmm. So they had to pretend to give the full, um, you know, travel guide. Yeah on newlyweds going there but then the challenges and the things they had to do to get this newlywed treatment kept getting more and more intimate and more and more uh crazy and they kept getting more and more uncomfortable and blushing and mm. clearly realizing that they do actually have feelings for each other right but they had to do a photo session together that eventually we were supposed to put on lingerie uh, <laughs> what were some of the other challenges oh they had to um they had sexy uh like chocolate sculptures, I think it was chocolate, of each other. Of each other. And after every bite, they had to say something they found attractive about each other, and the chairs would tell if they were lying. Yes. It was, it was so, not only, like, it was really, really funny, but it was also, like, a very Ferengi thing to do. Like, it, it, within the world itself, it just fit perfectly. I I loved, because, you know, it's sort of like that standard sitcom trope where, like, there's every, there's every sort of outside force threatening to bring the deception down and i loved how absurd like what what a great way to to do it do it on a on the ferengi ferengi homeworld like it's the most it's the craziest most absurd things you could think of that threaten this deception i i i yeah it's it's fantastic yeah, they had to go and they just do anything. like 20 years hard labor right if they lied to get the discount it was 20 years hard labor because we know how much the ferengi you know how financially driven they are and you know that that would be the greatest crime if you lied about that to get a discount that would it all made perfect sense and that's that's what i loved about yes. it so much it wasn't absurd at all and yeah I, and i do like also that when you were asked to come say what they find attractive about each other uh rutherford said you have fun hair yeah. and then tendy said back i like your hair too <laughs> Right, and I mean, the thing is, like, they didn't. It's not. They didn't really had to have to go to great lengths to like. They just had to like say nice things about each other. Like, they didn't have to, you know, get too crazy, right? And they could just, you know, get by. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think it's always the fact that when they're told to do that and they realize that they actually do have feelings for the other person, mm-hmm. that's what makes it like, the most awkward. Right. Do you think? Do you think this is going to develop now into something legit? I only don't because of the last scene where they said. It was so weird because we have no natural chemistry. Then they climbed into like the yeah, yeah, and then the tube, and they were laying on each other. They didn't realize there was anything, yeah, potentially sexual about that. So, I yeah, because I mean, I thought about you know, will will they ever get together at some point at various times earlier in the in the series? But I like I like them as best friends like that. I I think they work a lot better as best friends, and I don't want and I just feel like that would be. Although maybe I don't know. I feel like Tendi and Rutherford could somehow make a coupling still be like best friends in a very strange way if this didn't push them over the edge i don't think anything would. yeah exactly um i think mariner actually got some nice growth in this episode because when she meets up with quimp when she makes amends with him seemed a lot like quark seemed a lot like quark i thought it was him for a moment um me too it even sounded like someone doing an impersonation of Quark. Yeah. Um. I think that you know she definitely thinks about growing. What is driving her actions and growing beyond sort of like this? I would say like immature rebellion. Um. Yeah. Yeah. They point out that she has no real, she has nothing really to rebel against anymore. Well, she has and, supportive crew. She's she's happy with life, right? And yet she still finds this need to lash out, which I think we've sort of touched on this a little bit before, but never mm-hmm. so directly. Well, we've touched upon it, I think, in a way where we've wondered how long can they sustain this with her, and mm. but I think when we were questioning that, it was it was much earlier in the show, and. <laughs> Now it just feels feels like it's organically part of who she is, so it's not really something that I feel like needs to stop. She just does it because it's who she is. But I do find it interesting that the show is sort of making it a thing and saying, you know, well, maybe you don't need to be this way anymore. I thought it was interesting when Quimp met when she, Quimp finds out she's Lieutenant Junior Grade, and it's like, oh, again. 
you know, that sort of made my eyebrow kind of go up a bit. And I thought like, hmm. I know it's meant as a joke, but there was a little bit of kind of, there was a little something in there that got me thinking, hmm. Yeah, like, and the thing is, I knew she'd probably been that rank before, but there's something about like when somebody just brings it up, it just, I don't know, you think about it a little bit. At least I was thinking about it mm-hmm. a little bit more. So, yeah. Yeah. And he tells her, you got to figure out what's eating you up inside. And she seems to really take that to heart. Well, it, I think oddly enough, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I mean, do you, you know, we've seen character growth with everybody else. And mm-hmm. like, do you find yourself feeling like you want to see growth in Mariner? Like the show, I, I mean, maybe there is growth, but it doesn't seem to be in a similar vein to the other characters. But like, I don't know, like it's it's weird. It's weird. I feel like it's almost like they keep doing it and undoing it. Yeah. Because remember, there was a point where he thought, like, okay, now she realizes she really does want command, and that here we are again. She's got command, and now she's still lashing out. So it's not that it's not as bad as doing it and undoing it. It's not like a Michael, Michael Burnham. Burnham situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is. I think. I think this time they gotta. They gotta do something with it. Mm. I don't want this to just hang out there again, and then we kind of forget about it. Then we have another situation where she, right, you know, thinks she's gonna take a hard look at her behavior, and she doesn't. I, see, I like. I just like Mariner where she is. Um, even if, you know, is she rebelling for whatever reason? Why is she rebelling? Like, these are not, I gotta be honest, these are not questions that I have ever really felt needed answering. Because I just think over time, I've just gotten used to this just being who she is. And I don't feel like mm-hmm. it's a, and I think that it doesn't feel like it's something stop- that needs answering. Like, I'm not tired of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fine. But just then stop. Then stop having these. Stop scenes. presenting it. Stop. Yeah. As yeah. If stop it's something presenting it as a problem that she's working on and going to figure out if she's not really going to do it. Well, how often do you think they've done it? Really, have they presented this? Oh, I think it was a big. Um, it was a pretty big deal. I remember when she first made that realization that she did actually want command. Yeah. That was a pretty big deal. Mm. That was a big. I remember we talked about. it. I was like, "No, this is really a big." moment in her character Mm. yeah i don't know i i'm i mostly feel like i'm not starved to see her kind of like develop or maybe like change her ways or like give a reason for why she is the way she is but and i think it's because i don't maybe the show has not presented it in a very in too compelling of a way or something I, i don't know i just it's less so for her than everybody else. And that's, and I'm not saying that as a negative, right? I just, this is just who she is. And I don't feel like it needs to be answered. It's gone. Yeah. Well, they chose to make it go to a third level. She started a fight with a biker for no, absolutely no reason. Right. While she was on a Starfleet mission to a, a world that is, that they're trying to get to join the Federation. Mm. And she starts a, a brawl at a library. Well, granted, a library that serves alcohol and has gambling. Yes. But still at a library. Like, that was very, very reckless behavior. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, if the show, if, if, if they're going to, yeah, we'll see. Indeed. Um, Indeed. But I think a big, one big thing about this that I also really liked is that it's really kind of our first deep dive. There's a lot of world building in this with the Ferengi culture. There's a lot of, we. The, I realized as I'm watching this that, yeah, we've been to Ferenginar before, but we never really got to see this much of the Ferengi culture. And I really appreciate the world building that it gave us and seeing more of it. We got and, public libraries. Right. <laughs> we get to see the public libraries. We get to see, um, you know, War Memorial. their TV shows. Like I just... I, I, it did some yeah. very interesting stuff and and it was all, and the thing is, none of it seemed too absurd. It was all perfectly Ferengi. Absolutely. So I think in the end though, I don't think this was, I mean, this was not the best episode of the season, but, um, 
there was a lot of humor. There was some great character development, and I really liked the insight into the Ferengi culture. And it was great to see Rom and Lita again. Don't know that I really don't know that they really needed to be there to make the episode work, but nevertheless, it was great that they were there to begin with. So, yeah, I think this one might be one of my favorites of the season. Mm. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but again, I mean. It, it's it does i mean there, like i said at the top of it i mean there were more references to trek lore but i think that i think i like that <laughs> <laughs> i think i want that i know i've gone back and forth on this but i think i do want it in a way like this where we get right. it a lot there's a fair amount of it but also we have a story that's compelling the characters still do so i want it all really. but you know something i want it all i want the references i want the humor i want the character development i want the story i and the thing is I don't find myself saying, talking about world building a lot in Lower Decks. And I like that this show is sort of furthering the universe. Again, giving us a really deep dive into Ferengi culture. Having the Ferengi join, begin the process of joining the Federation. Lower Decks has more or less stayed kind of, you know... It hasn't moved the needle too much. I mean, it moves the needle like in terms of like, you know, stuff, specific references to the older shows, you know, putting Voyager in a museum. Here's what happened with this. Here's what happened with that. But in terms of like the actual world itself, um, it doesn't, it hasn't done too much with, I keep wanting to say moving the needle, right? But I don't even know mm. if I'm communicating this properly. But like, again, things like, having the Ferengi join the Federation, spending more time on the yeah. Ferengi home, on the Ferengi homeworld. Like here's a, here's yeah. something I would like to ask like, man, how much permission do they need to do these things though? Right. Right. Is there, a, is there like a, a story team or, you know, like a, a big picture team that they have to run things by? I'm sure they couldn't just do whatever they, well, it's, it, you know, it's interesting. I remember, I remember reading something about this back when um, Deep Space Nine was doing Way of the Warrior and they were introducing war if they were, you know, the Dominion was becoming a bigger threat. By that time, Voyager was on the air, but Voyager, of course, was in the Delta Quadrant. So they were not participating in these events. And there were, there was actually, some, I think one, some of the writers were questioning can we do this? Can we like, can we do this? Can we do that? Like, you know, going to war with the Klingons again and like going, you know, doing, and it's like, yes, because the Federation is now, this is now yours to play with. So yes, you can do that. You know, the TNG films were coming out, but they were not going to be tied into any of this. Right. So it was like, yes, you can absolutely do that. This is the Federation, the Klingons, like all, all of these things are now yours to mess with. So if you want to do that, absolutely. Mm. I don't know if they need. I don't know if there's a particular like gatekeeper, like. But I would. I would assume like. There's a lot of big stuff they can't do. Like if you, I, you know, I would imagine like let's say if they wanted to destroy the Frankie homeworld, that would that would maybe be, a, you know, you got to get some approvals before you do that first. But what if they just did something like totally crazy with the Frankie homeworld? Yeah. Know? I don't know. It seems like that's. I would like to think it to someone that at least they run it by. You're questioning, like, how far can they really, how far can they take it? Like, how, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Or I don't is know. there, do they have to ask anyone well, for this kind of stuff? And who is that person? I think if it was the only show on the air, I think it would be easier. But because there are other shows, like, I mean, Picard's over, of course. But, like, you do have Discovery, which. But there are no other shows at this time period. Right, but what I mean, so like you know, you do have Discovery, even though it's nine hundred and something years, some odd years in the future, and the show is ending, of course. But like, I guess it's sort of like whatever you do, whatever big thing you want to try to do. Are there any are there far-reaching implications that maybe get unintentionally nullified on the other shows? Like you know, did Picard make reference to in the past to because Picard is a little bit after Lower Decks, right? 
And so you'd have to kind of go back and say, and see, in, in in the entire series, did Picard make reference to, like, say, the Ferengi homeworld, and you know, so like that. Going back to me saying, if they if they decided to like say destroy Ferenginar, it's making sure that yeah. nobody made reference to that planet in that in context at the present time on, like, say, Picard or Discovery. Right. Like, you'd have to double check or all of that. Somebody that might be, oh, we, we want to make sure we have that around because we might do something with it later. Right. I don't know if they have someone like that. I know at Star Wars they had a person mm. or a team of a few people who were like the they. I forget what they called. They called them, they called them like the keepers of the holocron. Or well, you know what it is. But I, like they were the ones who coordinated everything. There was, I, I don't know what you call it, but I've heard of this before, where they actually have like a where shows have had teams of people to ensure that like continuity is in line. Like researchers, yeah, basically. Researchers. Yeah. I know that they. If you're going to have a universe, yes. you need someone to keep it all straight. I think. I know that they do have researchers who sort of make sure that. Who check all of those things. And it's not just for big things like this, but it's also like for small things, like just dialogue. So I think they do well, have people who make sure that these things are in line. So. Mm. And I know that they have used Memory Alpha in the past. To make yeah. to, to make because I do think those, that they're so. doing it, you know, it's a comedy show. They could go crazy with it, but I think they've done everything very tastefully. And even though it's silly, it's reasonable, right? You know, they've never gone too far with it to make it totally unrealistic. It's yeah, it's but it's again like it's one thing like you know for for lower decks if it's just a throwaway line, but having the Ferengi join the Fed, begin the process of joining the Federation like that's big. That's universe implications. That's universe size implications, right? So, yeah. I could maybe see that. It's like double, you know, again, we know that Discovery, by Discovery's time period, they're in the Federation. I don't think Discovery makes reference of when they joined the Federation. But let's say they did make reference of that. They would want to make sure that they stay in line with what's established on Discovery. So... I would love to be that person. I would love to have that job. Yeah. They're doing a heck of a job, that's for sure. I mean, it's a research job, really, at the end of the day. But look at what you're researching. Yeah. So. Right. Exactly. Cool. Do you have anything else? Uh, I got some uh, odds and ends. Okay. Tell me those odds and ends. Okay. Odds and ends. Oh, I... Uh, no. You don't have any. I guess it's actually just my favorite lines. That's what I've got. Okay, go for it. Okay. Uh, from this episode or both? This one. Okay, because we didn't. You didn't tell me your favorite lines from the last one. Because I really, I really like when um, the admiral says, "Mr. Grand Nagus," and the Nagus responds, "Just Nagus," and then there's a slight pause, and he says, "Grand Nagus." Yeah. Because it makes absolutely no sense. It's completely silly and ridiculous. And I loved it. Um, another one was at the war memorial for the uh, Ferengi. The woman's looking at the name and saying, so much lost income and crying. That that's their concern. Yeah, I remember that one. Yep. 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 They were not able to. Well, uh, look at this. I'm going, what are they? Like... Money over their lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird memorial uh, <laughs> thing they have yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a question for you. Okay. And it might show up in your continuity, but what's Moab for? Is that something we're supposed to know? Moab for? Um, yes. It's from the TNG episode, The Masterpiece Society. Yeah. It's okay. a, yeah. So, it's a... That was hitting on that really hard. Yeah, had to no. Be Moab it's a um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's a deserted planet. It's, it's got a um. Yeah, it was in that episode. The the I haven't watched that episode in a long time, but it's from a the Masterpiece Society, which I believe is a fifth season. That's fifth season episode of Next Gen. So, okay, 
Yeah, but it, it, that is an existing planet. It's interesting. In, I mean, the planet because the Moab, there is a real desert on Earth called the Moab Desert. So yeah. nicely done. There. Yeah. So, but yeah, to, to answer your question, it is, it is an it is an existing planet in in continuity in the world. So, um, where something harsh happens, so that you would it would make sense that uh, someone would talk about it. It's like you had to be at Moab for it to know what. A happened. favorite line of mine comes from Mariner, where she says <laughs> about Ferengi. She's like. It's like what heaven would look like if God was stupid. Yeah, I agree. I had that. That's one of my. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. It made no sense again. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was a really great yeah, line. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, and I do like the one about them being the horniest crew in Starfleet. Um, continuity-wise, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of Rom keeps referencing baseball, which is obviously, you know. DS9's taking out to Hall Suite. Cisco liked baseball. Um, yeah, he was weirdly obsessed with baseball. Mariner orders a drink called Dagger of the Mind, which is a, a name of an original series episode, which I thought was interesting. Nice. And also a reference to Macbeth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mentioned that the um, the Federation Experience Bar and Grill is based on the Star Trek The Experience, which I never got to visit. Mm-hmm. Never got to visit that. Me neither. Yeah. So. But um, I mean, it's lower decks. There's always some. There's always continuity. There's always there's always Easter eggs. So. But these were far mm-hmm. more direct. I I but I do like that. There's a drink called Dagger of the Mind that that uh, that tickled me. I, I don't. That's yeah. an episode. Of, I hate that episode too of the original series. I don't like it. I do know that famously the Star Trek experience had a drink called the, the Warp Core, which yes. is too bad they didn't. Yeah. Use that as a there. Yeah, I I was in Vegas when they were building it. And then I didn't get to Vegas again until after it closed. So it was in operation for about a decade, I think from 98 to 2008 or maybe maybe 2009. I think it closed right before the right before the Abrams film came out. So it was at the uh, the old Las Vegas Hilton. Yeah, but still, I still find it a little strange that it ever existed. Honestly, I did. I did too. I mean, I, I, it. I thought to myself, like, how many? I mean, I don't want to say like how many people are going to go to there, but like that's that's like a certain that's going that only appeals to a certain type of clientele. I mean, I'm sure people who didn't know Trek yeah. went there anyway because it, it was just a restaurant at the end of the day. But yeah, and the people who, you know had watched so many Star Trek shows on TV. I'm sure everybody had seen at least. Some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have the Star Trek convention there every year. I'm sure it got a lot of business during right. that. And, and right. All these things. But yeah, it, but was, I get it you. was interesting. I get you. It's a very, it's a very niche there's no, place. There's no Stargate experience anywhere, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, or, no, it's a very um, niche experience. And there's no like, and Star Wars has never anything, never had anything like that, right? No, I mean you get uh, Ticonderoga, which is a pretty niche. I'm surprised. They, I'm surprised they didn't, nobody's they've not built a cantina anyplace. They, I think they do now in Disney. But that's, I mean, that's a theme park, though. I mean, the experience was like its own thing. It was like in the middle of a hotel. <laughs> it was like in a hotel. You well, know? Yeah, but they have a whole world that is all Disney. Yeah, it, yeah. It's all Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Now, I do hear that the, the, the set is in storage in Vegas. Right? Yeah, I think the, yeah, I think at one point it was suggested that they, they brought it back. They bring it back and they were, I think they were going to stick it like in some mall in Vegas, but they couldn't get, they couldn't get that done. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I mean, it could, it's. I'm sure they could find a place for it in Ticonderoga, New York. If not, they needed it. Oh my God. Yeah. Like give a, well, you know what else though I think is, could be strange about it. Like doing that now though. It's like, that was, I feel like it, they, it would make more sense to do the current Trek, right? I mean, I understand, you know, it's Quark's by. I, like, I get it, but like, yeah, you know, those that show's not on the air. Those that era of Trek is not around anymore. So, yeah, yeah. um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, 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 I would love it to come back so I could visit it, but I, I don't think it. I don't yeah. think it. I don't think it will come back. Unfortunately. Cool. Well, that's it, I guess, for this week. Um, yep. 
we will be back to discuss the following episode next week. The episode that came out today. Episode. Which is called A Few Badgies More. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We've got a badgie reference and, I believe, a reference to the film A Few Dollars More, uh-huh. uh, the Spaghetti Western. So, very interesting. I love badgie. Uh, it's, it's been a while since we saw him, so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exciting. It says, three computerized villains return to cause problems for the Cerritos crew. Three. Three. Fascinating. Yeah. Pe- peanut butter, peanut basket. Yeah. Now, I should mention, and we do this all the we we say this a lot, like, you know, as of this recording, the episode's already out, but I actually haven't seen it yet. Usually, we've already seen, seen them. It. I haven't seen it yet. Um. Yeah, we're not even just pretending this time. Frasier came out on Paramount Plus, so I was watching that today. So, wrong podcast. I know. Yeah, for a non-existent Frasier podcast. Um, Yeah, but actually, hold on, because now this is just reminding me of something. So now that I'm looking at this, so let me just go back a moment. Um, the where is it? So I should have mentioned this, but I I didn't I I made a note of it and I didn't even re- realize it and I just forgot to mention it at the time. So a few episodes back, something borrowed something green, the episode where Tendi has it goes to her sister's wedding. Um yes. that's the nine hundredth Star Trek episode. Hey Wow. Yeah. I mean I remember them making a lot of noise about the eight hundredth episode some time ago. Yeah. So this is uh yeah that was the nine hundredth episode. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. I wonder why uh, they didn't make some noise about it. I just hope that enough episodes. More. Well, yeah, but I mean, um, but we're on episode nine hundred five now. The one that came out today was nine hundred five. So, um, but we're getting close to a thousand. If Trek can make it to a thousand, yeah, that's something special. Something special, and that that does include those very short treks, which I didn't oh. like at all there was one i liked. does it include the oh the very does it include the short tricks and the very short tricks mm-hmm. oh come on the very short tricks don't count even the short tricks are stretched it's dude it's any it's opinion. any trick that is on the movie or tv screen that's considered that's considered content. what about spock on the carol burnett show no because that's the carol burnett show not not star trek hmm All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Peace out. Peace out.